we're actually actively going into government buildings, you know, talking to these elected officials and really demanding of what we want and, and getting it done, actually. Again, young people have led the civil rights movement. They've led all of these movements from the very start, you know, and it's no different um, to the climate movement. We are all leaders in our own perspective rights and in our own communities. And all we have to do is continue using our voices to make that difference. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode seven, season two of Our New World. We continue talking to future leaders and the future leader we've got on today is Kevin Patel. He's a remarkable guest in a lot of ways. I was really, really excited to talk to him. He started climate activism from a very young age, partly after being affected by the air quality situation in his city, but also because his family has a background in agriculture. And he learned a lot about that when he was younger. So he started teaching that to his peers in school. A theme that comes up a lot in this conversation is how to use your voices. And Kevin, he started an organization that enables young people to involve themselves more in activism, but also be very objective focused and clear in how to do that. And I think that's something that we all struggle with trying to get involved in the climate crisis is how to use our voices and what actions to take, which is the whole point of this podcast. And Kevin does a really fantastic job of giving ideas, giving actions, giving tidbits of advice on how to get involved in local areas, in our communities, but also in the wider picture. So once again, Kevin is a fantastic guest, really, really interesting conversation. Really enjoyed speaking to him and I hope you get a lot out of it because I certainly did. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us on Our New World. Yeah, thank you for having me. So part of this podcast is to inspire action in people, you know, Mm-hmm. help help educate people give people some knowledge to to feed off uh what was it that sparked your own action what was it that made you decide that you wanted to get involved in climate change of course i think i have to go back like very um very far back uh, into when i was quite uh young i started at a very young age actually um so my both my parents are immigrants you know they came to this country to look for better opportunities but their parents are uh, inherently farmers that you know my parents are from india both of them and um given their farming background they brought a lot of that knowledge here to america and um you know while i was growing up i was learning a lot of that um, knowledge that my parents had learned, um, you know, that we can grow our own food that, um, you know, wherever we are at, you know, my dad was always the the person that kind of taught me all these, um, these skills and this, uh, you know, this just educated me about, you know, food and, um, farming. 
practices and whatnot. And so I kind of learned about like food justice at a very, very young age um, and that we can grow our own food. And I think that's the first issue that I got involved with was food injustice and food security. And um, that was around like, you know, uh, my sixth grade to, well, sorry, fifth grade to sixth grade year where I was really here in Los Angeles, you know, it was st quite stark in the sense of seeing food injustice and food inequalities of like, if you were to go to Calabasas or Beverly Hills, where a little bit more affluent area, mm -hmm. um, you would see that there are more access or there's just even an abundance of like resources in the sense of like non-GMO organic vegan food mm -hmm. options. But when you were to come back to like my community of sausage of Los Angeles or neighboring communities, you would see that there's actually not abundance of uh, food, but there are, uh, you know, food options, but, you know, uh, abundance of fast food restaurants, you know, not even a block away from where I live, there would be a fast food restaurant. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what, you know, kind of was scary is that a lot of a lot of my peers, a lot of the students, you know, in my in my um, community, um, were not getting healthier options of food. Yeah, and so I really wanted to do something about that, and that's where I was advocating for is that we can, you know, like from the the practices that my dad taught me and my mom taught me, I really took those practices to to school and I really kind of utilized those in the sense of um, taking on the school garden. So my first action was really teaching my peers about food injustices and food inequalities and making sure that they understood that they can grow their own food, that they can get healthier options, meals, that food doesn't just come from the uh, you know fast food restaurants or the grocery store, but we can grow our own food that is healthy and we can also create our own food um, you would be surprised how many responses I would get of people not knowing or my fellow peers not knowing where food actually came from, which was so, you know, stark and startling uh, to me to realize that. And so I think that's where I first began. But I think second semester, I was directly impacted by the air and smog pollution, which kind of really caused me to uh, understand that this is not just a, you know, one issue um, thing that my community is facing it's a it's a multitude of issues right from the fossil fuel industry right in our backyards to the air and smog pollution to the proximity to um highways and freeways and you know the lack of uh the tree coverage in our community to just so many different different issues that my community was facing um and so i understood if i don't speak out against these injustices then who will right yeah. if i were to speak out against these injustices then when will someone speak out against these injustices because it had these these um issues had been happening in my community for such a long time and so i really wanted to do something about it and ever since then i've been speaking out and not only speaking out but also educating my community on the ways in which we can take action and it kind of has transformed into something more international, national, even um, in local politics, even in my local politics, it, it has transformed um, into something much larger. So I think that's like 
my um, journey towards activism of how I saw one injustice and it turned into two. And um, I just understood it was not just one, but it was multitude and uh, there was many. And, you know, we have to use, you know, the most powerful tool in our arsenal is our voices. And if we're not using our voices against these issues, they would never get solved. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. It's really interesting. Obviously, all of these things are linked in some ways and it does climate change is sort of inherently beneath all of them um really interesting how you got from you know one and then you started continuing that trend of you know acting on acting on what you see in front of you i'm interested in how you went what in getting involved in, in gardening school and farming rather in schools um but i'm always interested in how people talk to their local communities what are the first steps that people make I'd say one of the tools that I hear most about is social media, which makes sense. How is it that you kind of reached out and breached that gap between being someone in your community to actually talking to your community? You said using your voice. How is it that you started using your voice? I'm just thinking about younger people today, how you would talk to them, inspire them to use your voice. What were the first steps that you took to do that? Yeah, I guess at a very you know young age, at like eleven or twelve, I think social media wasn't as you know prominent as it is today, and I think that you know really kind of led me to always staying, uh, doing my activism local to where I was, and so that was really just at school activism of like how can I go out into my community and really be someone that utilizes you know, not only my voice, but be able to take actions via what I'm talking about, right? Um, mm. And so I think that's, you know, I started just utilizing my voice and speaking out against what was happening and then coming up with ways of which to kind of uh, take actions with my, you know, from what I've said and coming up with ways to solve these issues. Um, and so I think the way that I communicated with others was just, uh, it was not through social media as much, but it was um, through school, school clubs. Um, you know, I always tried to get involved heavily, quite a lot. And I think that also the modes of communication opened up through, high, you know, when I was in high school, I think um, a very early, early age, not, I wasn't only doing my activism in school anymore i kind of utilized social media to do activism outside of school so i was yeah. working with the mayor's office and uh doing issues around home uh, unhoused community members right and yeah um and doing a lot of those type of issues to solve um you know just to solve a mo like a, a really broad scope of issues but also kind of utilizing our voices to like get more young people involved who might not be aware of these issues um, you know, and I think there, it, it is quite um, important to see how, like, you know, people in, in today's sense communicate. But I think my my very early age was like for three years, I, I had not been like a lot of my my mode of communication was only through my middle school mm. um, and so my school community, and that's the way that I communicated and really kind of got others involved, and then it transformed into like me starting a school club so that a lot of people were informed about the issue and were able to really take a you know take a stance as well as take action against the issues that were quite important to me and to the community and then also 
kind of integrating that with the community and talking to fellow community members um, and then also working with the mayor's office, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one about these issues was quite important to see. And then now it's really transformed because of the pandemic. Everyone has had to use social media in some shape or form yeah. for like campaigns, for all these other um, modes of action and ways to utilize our voices to really get out the importance around these issues as well as action items for people to do and so it's really it's been really uh, interesting to see the transitions um a few years can do you know um you know starting from at age 11 and 12 there wasn't that much of a social media boost of climate change or anything like that yeah. at least in my in in my viewpoint but i think now it's just so prominent and so i think now a lot of people utilize social media as a tool to really educate others on these issues not only that but also be able to mass mobilize people to take action on them yeah it definitely seems like a, a one of the real positives of social media you know as, as a teacher i talk a lot about the negatives <laughs> but um it, it is amazing the amount of people i talk to now who say well you know i've been able to join this or i've learned this from social media and you know as long as it's a reputable source it's it is great um and like you said the mass mobilization i think is is a real factor you think about strikes and climate climate rallies it's um it's a big thing isn't it these days um it, uh, what, what would you say or how would you say your roles changed to now do you think from what you from what you did from where you started would you say you're doing similar things or has it evolved into something quite different are you working in the actual climate change sector at the moment yeah i, I guess it has quite it has changed quite a lot honestly um uh i think now i'm really working towards i'm working in the climate sector in the sense in the nonprofit sector yeah. Um, you know, I, I run my own nonprofit called One of Action, and a lot of what we're what we're doing and what our mission is to really is to work with young people, but to implement actual climate solutions. And we take the frameworks of Project Drawdown and Regeneration, S, the, all the SGGs, and really have created a youth framework of solutions that we would support that would get us to where we're needing to go at. You know. Yeah. Um, and we just empower research you know we empower leaders and young leaders at that with the resources to implement those climate solutions um and so that's a lot of the work that you know i'm going into uh now with the nonprofit, and um it's a new journey it's something that's completely new that hasn't been done before of like you know really kind of relying on young people who are not just, you know, I always say this, there's this axiom that leaders, you know, young people are the leaders of tomorrow, but I think young people are not just the leaders of tomorrow, they're the leaders of today and tomorrow. And mm. when we look at, you know, history, a lot of these movements have been led by young people and young activists. And I think that's one of the beauty, you know, what, what I found so beautiful about this movement is that young people not only amplified this crisis you know in a way that you know mass mobilized tens and thousands of people or even millions of people but actually bring urgency to this crisis um 
and are the ones who are creating the solutions and pushing those solutions to the forefront of, you know, not only the conversation, but also to our world leaders and government officials. And I think that's um, something that I really want to continue supporting in young people is that ability to take action, even while a lot of quite a lot of world leaders, corporations, you know, have this um, this viewpoint of young people, um, you know, to stay in school or do certain things that, you know, uh, that will lead us to in the next 30 years or in the next 10 years to step into the roles that they're in. But I think that is quite wrong given that we are already the world leaders, that we're already the scientists, that we're already the teachers, that we're already doing all of these other things that fit the categories to really solving this issue. So I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for young people uh, yeah. in that sense. So it's really transitioned from talking about the issues that I face to really wanting to implement the climate solutions, not only in my community, but worldwide and help young people do that. And so there's a huge emphasis on young people. Mm. I think that's amazing giving the confidence to young people to be able to do that, because something mm -hmm. I would like to ask you is how hard is it to integrate young people into what is stereotypically, like you said, been an adult's world. Um, people think about young people as you know, our future, but actually the young people's voice is so important right now. They have a lot of new perspectives, a lot of new skills. How hard is it to integrate them and their knowledge, you know, or, or lack of, and that that's not meant to sound patronizing, but there's a lot that young people have to learn just like adults, but young people have this, you know, innate quality of just learning and learning and learning. So how is it that you sort of get them involved in, policy making or talks or things like this when they might feel themselves that they're lacking the knowledge or they're lacking the skills or they're lacking the confidence to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with adults yeah I think it, it isn't that hard and I'll, I'll say this I think again young people have led the civil rights movement they've led all of these movements from the very start you know and it's no different um, to the climate movement I think when we're talking about you know implementing um, you know, implementing laws um, or implement, you know, advocating for laws or, you know, just I think you're correct in that statement of like young people are always constantly learning and we're also constantly unlearning. I think mm. the modes of our communication have grown so much is that we're not only learning at school, we're also learning via social media, via all these platforms and whatnot. Um, and I have seen such, you know, quite a lot of difference in the sense of the integration part of our, our movement and the ways in which, you know, our tactics and our, our methods have quite expanded. You know, we're not only doing rallies, marches and strikes anymore to kind of advocate around these issues. We're actually actively going into government buildings you know, talking to these elected officials and really demanding of what we want and, and getting it done, actually, you know, and, and if, if something doesn't exist, we're also creating new methods that haven't yet been created. And I think that's the beauty of young people of like, there is no integration needed, given that it's just about that, that piece of, um, you know, if one person can do it, others can do it. It's that, how can we pass this knowledge on to these next leaders and um 
And what I mean by that is like, there are so many young people that are, you know, doing this work that it's all a community of learning and just utilizing the different tactics. For instance, I, in 2019, um, you know, created the idea of having a youth climate commission within LA County, which LA County is huge. You know, it has over 88 cities. It's one of the most powerful local governments in the United States. And I had created um, the idea of the youth climate commission. And I, you know, obviously wanted to get that passed through LA County's uh, board of supervisors. So me and my friend kind of uh, partnered up uh, another fellow activist by the name of Delaney Michelson partner, uh, her and I partnered up and we got, we, we, you know, spoke to the board of directors and specifically we spoke to the, you know, sustainable, the chief sustainability officer at that time. And we got it passed. It, you know, we made it happen and it became the first ever in the world, first ever in the nation. It had never been done before. Amazing. And so I think that's, you know, that's telling, that's the truth, you know, that's the, that really kind of the truth of the youth climate movement is that if something doesn't exist, young people will create it. And I think it's that mode of like, if we didn't know that we, um, you know, I think if we didn't know if we didn't have the power to do stuff, we wouldn't do it. But I think a lot of young people know that we have the power um, to do stuff that, you know, our previous generations hadn't done, you know, to really solve these issues. And I think that's the, when we talk about integration, we talk about how young people are so innovative to be included, you know, we insert our voices in everything. And I think that's, you know, that's how, um, that is the reason why I said that, you know, integration of young people isn't quite hard. It's just, it's making sure it's done and it's done the right way. And I think there are different ways that young people are doing that and making sure that it's done the right way. Um, But I think we still kind of are lacking that decision-making power in the sense of, you know, world leaders and government officials are still not the age bracket that we want them in. Right. Um, And what I mean by that is that they're a lot more older. And I think that's where we kind of young people fall short is that we still don't have as much power in the sense of being elected to these positions to implement global climate solutions um, or even really change the trajectory of um, implementation on climate solutions. So I think that's something that, you know, we as a movement have been collectively looking looking at of like, how can we pressure these leaders to, you know, act now and act swiftly on these issues while we're also doing the same on a low, uh, really hyper-localized level um, to implement climate solutions and get all of these, you know, changes to be made, you know? Um, But I, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on, Kevin. No, I was just going to add on of like how, you know, if something happens in one place, it also happens in other places. And I think I've also spoken to so many young people of like how to start their own like youth climate commissions or just even accounts or a commission or anything like that of inc- having young people included in governments. I think that shift has began of like just educating others on the ways in which to do the same thing. And um, I think that education, but is quite important as you mentioned, is that, you know, we are constantly learning and we're always going to be learning. I think 
there's not going to be a point where we're not learning. And I think everyone needs to understand that there are three things that come into this is that young people are really resilient. Uh, we, we don't take no for an answer. We always try to come <laughs> yep. up with ways to, we always try to come up with ways to be, to do what we want to do and what we love to do. And I think, um, and, and that really goes hard in saying that, you know, there, if we see an injustice, we're going to go, you know, to the extremes to make sure that we solve that said injustice. And, um, that means creating our own policies, creating our own, you know, movements to really center around this issue and make sure that we solve it. And then two is that, you know, I think a lot of young people have come to the realization that we are constantly always learning. There's always more to learn. And I think we have become, we are so open to it that we, you know, tend to forget about what we've learned in the past and really relearn a lot of the things that are you know, happening now in, in, in this day and age. And, um, and that, that's, I think, in my opinion, is really beautiful. Because um, we, we think we, we take, you know, history from the past, and we really kind of um, make sure that it's not done, you know, for our futures and for the next seven generations. And then third, I think one of the things is, is that we're always constantly talking about these issues. There's always these conversations that are continuously happening. And I think all of these three elements have really transformed into action uh, around these issues. And it's, um, it's really quite beautiful to see. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I'd love to consider myself still young, but I suppose I'm on the outside now, but it is, it is pretty great watching inside and or watching the inside happening and everyone sort of flourishing. Um, I think like you alluded to as well, when you talk about power and public power, a lot mm. of it probably comes down to representation and how represented young people are. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a political expert, but I suspect that, I, I feel anyway, that there's a lot of um, unhappiness. People don't feel represented by governments currently, mm. at least in England, that feels like the case amongst my peers. I imagine it's similar in... America, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you agree with this, but that seems like a very big issue. But it sounds like things like one-up action are trying to tackle is how young people are represented. Because one of the mm -hmm. arguments against young people by older people is, you know, well, they don't have the knowledge or skills or experience. You know, that's one of the classic arguments to not sort of listen to people like Gresser and things that I hear a lot. But I think rather than doing that, it's, it's more about representation, having discussion and understanding how young people work. Um, how do you think that one-up action, I mean, if, if you do agree with that, but how do you think one-up action and things like that are trying to get representation? You mentioned starting up groups and local governments. Do you think that's a priority? I think that's definitely a priority. And when we're talking about how can we get more accurate representation to what this day and age needs, you know, um, I, I like I always look to the youth climate movement of like who is working on these policies and I think it's every young person that's working on developing and advocating and pushing along policies that these leaders have yet to even grasp or even want to implement right and so I think that's uh, something that I've seen and uh, something that I'm really, you know, always advocating for, like, how can we actually have young people at the table? What I mean by that, the decision making tables um, sure. that these world leaders and these uh, government officials usually, um, you know, 
reserved for adults. And I think that's where, you know, in 2019, I saw that, you know, I think a lot of what I was, a lot of the conversations that I was having in that year, I think that year was really prom, you know, quite important to me because that that was not only when I started One Up Action, it was also when, like, you know, the youth climate movement was really kind of getting started and amped up here in the United States, at least, yeah. um, given, um, you know, it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. And I think that wildfire was just starting in the United States um, for at least the young the young people here. Uh, during that time but you know we've had leaders before us you know uh, um, Robert Bulliard you know and uh, so many other amazing people Landa Nashiva, Ron Finley all these amazing people who had been working on climate or issues that are really integrated or intersectional with climate so definitely want to give them a shout out but we've took a lot of what they have been you know advocating for and the knowledge that they have been spreading and took it to our movement spaces and really integrated those um, knowledge and, you know, just everything that they have been pushing and into our movement spaces. And, um, and even in 2018, you know, again, going back to the conversations that I have had with young people, um, a lot of what has happened is that a lot of young people have been feeling that sense of like, oh, we're not being truly represented in our communities. And if those are the exact conversations that I had mm-hmm. um, with young people at a climate strike, the very first climate strike to keep in mind and in March of 2019 in LA, in LA City, where I had to see how young people from, from like a, a completely different city that was three hours, four hours away, were coming down to LA to have their voices heard. And I think that main question of like, don't, you know, do you not have a, you know, do you not have a voice within your own community? And I think that question was said quite a lot to these young people. And a lot of them had said no, that they don't have that mode of like being able to get involved or, um, or even have their voices heard. And I really wanted to do something about it. And I think that's where the Youth Climate Commission came in. It's like, we need young people in government. And this is the way that we would do it is to really make sure on a hyper-localized level, we can get young people involved, but in a huge, like, you know, in the masses. And so that's where, you know, I think a lot of young people are seeing is that we can get involved in government and we can be the ones to be the one, like we can be the ones that not only get educated around the systems and the policies of, you know, our government systems, right? But we're also able to change them um, yeah. in the sense of whatever policies had been implemented in the previous past, we're able to go back to them and really analyze them and say, well, this isn't working for my community. Let's go ahead and change it and then implement new um, motions and new, um, you know, new solutions towards these issues that are actually plaguing our communities. Like I always say, who's be- who better to understand the issues that are going on in, you know, in in our own com- in in our own community than the community itself, right? And so I yeah. think that is so important is to make sure that there's an integration of community within these uh, government offices and even. So taking that mode of like creating these, you know, these bodies of commissions to get young people involved kind of transformed into saying like, how can we spread this, you know? And I think that's 
where we're at now of spreading this and creating even more youth climate commissions across the United States or even abroad, you know, so many other young people are creating commissions and councils and bodies of which of, you know, um, not only in government, but also in companies. I think a lot of, you know, companies are starting these youth councils and youth forms and different, you know, commissions of, you know, uh, of young people to really help guide the company to implement solutions around these huge issues and not just climate change. But, you know, when we're talking about what a company, what issues a company might be interested in, I think there's quite a lot. And so, so many young people are not only going into the government sector, so many people are going into the uh, private sector in the sense of like companies and, um, um, you know, uh, just huge, huge organizations who have quite a lot of power. And so I think I do see that shift happening, but it's not happening fast enough. So I think a lot of young people are advocating for it to happen faster and to include more young people um, in, in those, you know, in those bodies. Yeah. Um, but it is happening. It is happening. I will say it's, um, it's definitely something that I've seen and something that I'm also currently participating in, you know, and was able to do. Yeah, of course. I think that's great. I mean, it is, it is just about creating connection, isn't it? It's that sort of lack of voice or lack of communication between that I definitely felt growing up between oddly local governments, but and community, you know, I didn't, I suppose it's difficult to say as a kid what you feel growing up, but you don't, you don't feel involved in local government necessarily. It doesn't, it feels like sort of your parents role or your, you know, in an elderly place. Um, and it, it does seem that the responsibility is falling on young people to actually open up those lines of communication and that connection rather than it being the other way around. So I imagine that sort of feeds into why it's a slow process. But yeah, it's it's good to hear that it's happening. Um, I, I feel like I suppose it's happening on from my perspective, but it's, it, it's good to have organisations that are actually trying to push that through because it does seem important really important. Mm -hmm. So one thing I'm interested in is why or what is the thing that you're most worried about in terms of climate change because you must be quite involved in it by now you've got a lot of knowledge a lot of holistic experience around the different issues of climate change and I think when people hear it it just seems like a very big issue at the moment but I'm always interested to hear what people's priorities are when it comes to climate change when they're working in it. Yeah, I think that's a quite difficult question because, you know, I worry about everything, you know, all these issues are quite important to me. And I think one of the things that I worry about the most is that we aren't moving as fast enough to implement these, you know, quite important solutions, whether we look at nature-based solutions or just the more holistic solutions in that sense. I think we need to be moving at a pace that is quite fast. And I think young people are the ones, this is the reason why I focus on young people so much is that they are the ones that are really pushing for these solutions to be implemented fast. And even some of them are working towards implementing them, you know? Um, and a lot of them are also creating these new solutions to solve a lot of the injustices that have yet to be even solved. Um, and so that's the, I think that's the beauty of it. But I also just, you know, I'm really quite scared that, you know, um, that sense of, urgency is it for me is quite different it's uh the urgency of implementation and um i think that's what i worry about the most and i think also 
another added layer to that would be, um, you know, I think a lot of the solutions that are out there, I think a lot of, quite a lot of people, and uh, when I mean that, I mean uh, quite a lot of young people are still being educated on these solutions. So I would hate for a lot of solutions that are really problematic and actually won't help um, you know, solve the climate crisis and, and, you know, exacerbate it are going to be supported. And I think that's uh, another thing that, you know, a lot of young people are doing is to, to make sure that, you know, young people are educated on the solutions and they're pushing the correct solutions um, so that it's not just, you know, we're not only protecting both people and the planet, but making sure that we, we have a longevity of solving these uh, injustices. And that might not make sense, but I think it's in the, in the sense of like making sure if we truly want to solve these injustices, we have to make sure that the solutions that we're implementing are actually going to benefit not only the people who are being affected, but also make sure that it never happens again. And, um, and so I think that's where the, the longevity of the solution really comes in. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think, yeah, just to be really put it simply, it's like, those are the things that I worry about the most that making sure that um, we we educate young people on the, the correct solutions, that we have this sense of urgency around the solutions and we get moving um, with the correct solutions. And um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I was, think- I always stumble on this. Sorry, I always stumble on this question. I think it's like, you know, us youth climate activists and just us, you know, you know, people who are passionate about climate and who are working in climate. I think there's no one issue. And if there is, you know, we tend to hyper focus on it. But I think um, for me, at least my journey has really not only focused on one issue, it's been focused on so many different issues. And, um, you know, that's what I find most important is to, we can't just focus on one issue. This whole movement is intersectional, right? And it's not only intersectional, it's intergenerational. You know, it's not just young people, it's also much older people and people in, the, in between. And um, so it's not, it's not just one generation, it's multitude of generations and, mm-hmm. and a multitude of issues and different, you know, things that we have to focus on. So I think that's, my main concern is that when we talk about climate change, we're not just talking about the planet, we're talking about the people. And I think that integration is just barely being made. Yeah, yeah I know exactly what you mean. It's so, it's also integrated. So I, I feel similarly, in especially when people talk about this whole Malthusian versus Cornucopian, which basically is, you know, just people listening it's it's like well technology will save us you know we we're constantly providing technology that will improve the climate um the climate impacts and what you were mentioning there about the whether it's the actual problem to solve people get so fixated on a particular problem to solve that it doesn't change the philosophy behind why that problem existed in the first place and that's what scares me is that things will just get better without actually changing the deep-rooted philosophy in the way that we live it'll just get better because we're finding short-term solutions to it and then it's going to happen again and that's a terrifying mm-hmm. prospect to me um mm-hmm. yeah so I, I relate quite heavily to that um yeah to that idea and that fear um yeah and i 
I framed it in a way that, you know, is quite simple. It's, you know, the simplest thing of saying, you know, the longevity of a solution, because I do agree with you in the sense that in these contexts, we have to really deeply be rooted in exploring and seeing how these injustices came about in the first place, right? What systems are not working and how can we go in and really change the system to work for everyone and the mm. planet? in the long term, you know, because these current systems and the stat and the status quo are not working for working class people. They're not working for BIPOC people, which is black indigenous people of color. And just overall it's not working for the global south. And I think though, you know, a lot of young people see that and a lot of young people are wanting to shift and really change that. And I think that's something that, you know, um that worries me is that we're not, you know, I think a lot of world leaders don't have that, that viewpoint. And, and they're saying that this system works for all, but I think we're implementing all these short-term solutions toward within a system that's already been broken. Um, and, you know, obviously cannot be fixed until we actually change all of it, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think, I didn't want to quite say that given that it's something that, a lot of young people are still kind of learning about and really making sure that, you know, we quite understand the complex issues that, you know, there are quite a lot of people in this world that are really, you know, again, they are quite greedy and I think they, they benefit from this system. Um, and there are quite a lot of people in this world that don't benefit from this system and are having to, you know, suffer essentially and be on the front lines of these injustices that are plaguing not only their communities but so much more than that their health everything you know and yeah. even their families generationally uh, are being affected and i think that's something that we have to and we must understand and quite learn and i think i think that what a lot of young people are, are not only learning but you know kind of now wanting to fix and um it's something that we've been pushing on to other generations to kind of understand that kind of intersectional lens of like these these systems that are currently in place are not working for anymore for everyone you know they're not working for quite a lot of populations so how can we make it work for everyone and how can we actually solve these injustices without the short-term solutions or even continuing these conversations when we already have all the solutions that we need to implement, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important topic that quite a lot of people kind of forget about, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I'm hoping and I think that there are steps, you know, I, I don't, I hardly have any answers, you know, when people ask me, uh, I studied this, you know, for years and I'm interested in it, but it doesn't mean I have answers, but I always feel like exactly like you said, you know, when you can, induce a conversation between people and create a connection and develop empathy you know at least it's a step in the right direction so I just imagine it's lots of lots of little baby steps and if that means talking about renewable energy or you know not using plastic bags it's all a step in the right direction right and I mean talking about solutions again I think this is probably something that's really difficult to answer but what's one thing you'd like to see people do to support our planets essentially or to support one another you've talked a lot, a lot about the intersectionality of the problem is there something you'd recommend people do um, first before anything else 
you know, we have quite a lot of power, you know, our, I think I always say it, our most powerful tool in our arsenal is our voices, but not only our voices, is that the way that we utilize our voices on these issues uh, by talking about them, by coming up with solutions and whatnot, that's one way. And a second way is to really get involved in electoral politics. We have the, the, the power of our voices in elections and electing leaders who are going to act not just in a, the urgency for this crisis, but meeting the crisis where it needs to be met at. Um, and so electing leaders that will do right by not only the planet, but for the people. And I think that is what a lot of the power that we hold and something that we can do is by voting for uh, voting for the planet and voting for the people who are the most affected by these injustices. Um, we, we have quite a lot of advocacy power in so many different ways and for um, governments and corporations. And I think one of the things that we need to remember is that we are all consumers and we were to, you know, band together and really stop the destructive forces these companies hold, um, you know, in, in the sense that we won't purchase from them anymore, um, given that they're harming not only the, the people who, uh, people on the front lines, but also uh, the planet, uh, we can really shift their mindsets to uh, changing their modes of practices and their, you know, their entire company structures to, you know, support, then support the planet as well as the people and whatnot. And so I think we hold a lot of power as consumers. We hold a lot of uh, power as voters. We hold a lot of power just by utilizing our voices. That's really, really important just to kind of get into it more is that we hold a lot of power in our jobs. You know, I think a lot of the things that we kind of, when we're talking about climate change, a lot of people don't relate climate to, you know, jobs. And I think a lot of people need to understand that jobs are going to be the really kind of the future of what, how we can really transform this movement in the sense that there are climate jobs, you know, how can we get into, um, you know, in any different, any different profession that you're going into, there are bound to be climate jobs. And I think just taking up that work for the planet and for the people, is something that's quite important. Um, and I wish I can go into more specifics around what type of jobs there are. But I mean, if you look into it, really, uh, in every single industry, there's bound to be one climate job. And every, you know, I think um, from what I've seen, I think even when you don't have experience, a lot of these jobs are willing to train you and um, so that you're ready to take on this position or even go into this profession and whatnot. And so I think that's the beauty of it is that there's so much support around getting people into climate jobs. And then, um, you know, we, we have the ability to implement solutions. And I mean, the broad scope, not that I'm not already saying what I've mentioned is not solutions. They are solutions and they are long-term and even short-term uh, in that sense. But we do have solutions that we can implement like nature-based solutions, like the solutions in regeneration and, um, you know, there are quite a lot of um, different, different solutions um, that we can be implementing now. And so I think we have all these modes of like ways to really advocate for the planet and for the people who are being affected. Um, 
we just need to be doing at a faster pace. Not that we're not doing it, but I think we need to be doing it at a faster pace. So everyone that might be hearing this podcast needs to be getting involved in one way or another uh, from the, you know, the, the list of things that I've kind of listed out of how to get involved and what we can do. And we can do so much as, um, you know, not only young people, but we can just do so much as people to solve these issues. It's about us willing to act and it's us, it's our, it's also our willingness to speak out, you know, speak out against these injustices. And I think our first step needs to be to speak out against these injustices because if you're able to speak out against these injustices, something can be done. And it really, again, I think I'll take what Naomi Klein once said to me is that, uh, you know, one person can be the spark, but once that sparks get started, I think all of us collectively become the wildfire. Um, and we need to run with that. You know, if you're yeah. able to utilize yeah. your voice in your community and your local community, you have started that spark to really ignite a, you know, a storm of people wanting to take action or even joining you in that fight to, to make a difference, to make an impact and really not only change your community, but neighboring communities. And that that change, that impact is seen far and wide and that inspires others to really take action. Um, so I think that's what I find so beautiful and so moving about this movement is that there's not just one mode of acting or implementing solutions or doing all of this work. There's so many ways to get involved and do good by the people and the planet and i think people just need to take that first step so yeah listen kevin i think that's a brilliant message to end on and it's it's been a real pleasure speaking to you you've continued this theme of inspiring young people doing amazing things for our planet that i'm speaking to um you know and i think what you're doing making leaders i think it takes a leader to make a leader and Wish you all the luck with it. I think you're doing really great things. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. And honestly, um, you know, we are all leaders in our own perspective rights and in our own communities. And all we have to do is continue using our voices to make that difference. So I do appreciate you um, having this conversation with me and, um, you know, even reaching out for this podcast. So can't wait yeah. for it to come out. <laughs>